You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. So here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's word to us. And when we read the Bible, we are hearing God speak. Now, on this joyous day of Easter, the Bible reading will be taken from the book of Mark, the last chapter, chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. So I'll be reading from the CSB version. Uh, please follow along in your own Bibles, but the passage will also be displayed on the screen. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go, tell the disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb, because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone, since they were afraid. Uh, We're going to, given that this is Easter, take a moment to hear from Mark's gospel about the ending of what happens in that story, about what we just heard that Sam read for us about the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to remember that today is Easter for a reason. We get a long weekend for a reason. But there's also a really special reason why these four people are being baptised of all days on Easter Sunday. But you know what? Today we celebrate the day that changed the world forever. This is actually the day on which a revolution began. A revolution that unleashed the greatest movement across human history and the entire world. Because on this day, over 2,000 years ago, a Jewish man named Jesus, a man who claimed to be God himself, rose from the dead. Now, let me be clear about that. That's not he symbolically rose from the dead. It's not that he spiritually rose from the dead. It's not that he metaphorically rose from the dead. No, the great claim of Easter, the great claim of Christianity, the great claim of the Christian faith, which undergirds most of our world today, is this, that Jesus physically, materially, and bodily rose from the dead. You might be here today and not be an active follower of Jesus. And to be honest, you might even be sympathetic towards Christianity, but you might not accept that claim. You might reject the claim that Jesus, that anyone could have ever physically defeated death. But please understand this, that enough people throughout human history have believed that truth and still continue to believe it. 
You see, whether we're Christian or not, all of us have to reckon with this and ask this question. If not for the resurrection, how did this one man's death unleash the greatest movement across human history and the entire world? So wherever you might be today, whether you might be a skeptic, an all-out atheist, someone who is a Christian, who has followed Jesus your whole life, I want us to this morning at least entertain that possibility that Jesus rose from the grave bodily, physically, materially. And if that is true, then I want to suggest surely it's got to change everything, doesn't it? Because if Jesus really defeated death, that means there is hope for our entire world. The resurrection of Jesus is so significant because of this one truth. It's so significant because death is so certain. None of us can escape it. And all of us will one day face it. And that's what we see in the final chapter of Mark's gospel. We begin by seeing a certain death. A certain death. Uh, Some people claim that Jesus' so-called resurrection can be merely explained by the fact that he never really died. That, That his crucifixion was all an act. And instead of being resurrected, no, Jesus was just resuscitated. But I want us to look at Mark's gospel to see what exactly happened. See, this gospel is a biography of Jesus. It was written by one of his followers within one lifetime of his ministry. By historical standards, that's as contemporaneous as it gets. And I want us to see just how certain Mark is that Jesus really died. In the previous chapter, Mark writes that Jesus was nailed to a cross and buried in a tomb. In chapter 15, verse 44, the Roman governor Pontius Pilate of his day, he was surprised that Jesus was, quote, already dead. Pilate then asked a centurion to certify Jesus' death, and he gave, him, he gave his corpse to a man named Joseph. Hear that? Jesus was already dead. His death was certified by a Roman centurion. And Pilate refers to his body as a corpse. And now in chapter 16, three women come to the tomb with spices so that they can go and anoint Jesus' body. This isn't the Egyptian process of embalming a corpse. It's the Jewish ritual of devoting the dead to the Lord. You see, however you cut it, the women, the centurion, the governor, and Mark himself all believe Jesus really died. And now some people want to claim that that Mark fabricated this entire account. It's just all religious propaganda, really. But if that's true, why would Mark use three women as his witnesses? You see, in that culture, in that day and age, a a woman was sadly considered to lack character or credibility as a witness. That the testimony of a woman in that day was considered unreliable. And we praise God that isn't the case anymore. So if Mark was fabricating these events, why choose them? Why not choose a group of reliable men whose testimony would be accepted by by the courts of law and public opinion? No, no, the evidence of Jesus' death is ironically credible precisely because these three witnesses are women. And when you stop and think about it, when all the male disciples cut and run for their lives, it's these three and many more brave and courageous women who stood with Jesus. 
What a way that Mark honours people who would have otherwise been silenced. Now, at every point, Mark is at pains to show us this one truth. Here it is, Jesus is dead. His death is as certain as, as it's sealed by the stone which covers the tomb. And you know what? So too is our death so certain. We hate to confront this reality, don't we? But death is inescapable for us all. Uh, Leo Tolstoy wrote this, Why should I live? Why should I do anything? Is there in life any purpose which the inevitable death that awaits me does not undo and destroy? It's an uncomfortable but penetrating question, isn't it? Is there in life any purpose which the inevitable death that awaits me does not undo or destroy. And I want to say that unless death is not the end, the answer is a resounding no. There is no purpose which the inevitable death that awaits us does not undo or destroy. The futility of life is the result of the certainty of death. And that is a reality that none of us can escape. It is, isn't it, the significance behind the words of the women in verse 3? As they approach Jesus' tomb, they ask, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Who will unseal this certain death? Who will undo this curse? Who could ever undo this curse? And then Mark writes in verse 4, Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And we can tell, can't we? Mark doesn't say by whom, but the implication couldn't be clearer. God. God rolled the stone away. God unsealed the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead. Friends, this is a real resurrection. A real resurrection. Uh, in verse 5, the women now enter the tomb and they see a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. Now to any first century Jew reading this account, they would know exactly what these women are seeing. Friends, this is an encounter with an angelic messenger of God. Now, lest anyone claim that this is it's just all a hallucination... One person's hallucination is one thing, but the hallucination of a whole group of people. No, 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 this is a real encounter with an angel of God. And I want you to look at what he says in verse 6. Irony of ironies, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. Can you hear what the angel is saying? Jesus' resurrection is as real as his death is certain. You see, friends, throughout this whole gospel, Mark has been demonstrating that Jesus is the king over absolutely everything in this world. He is the king over sickness, the king over evil, the king over nature, and the king over religion. He is even the king over Caesar himself. But I wonder if you realize 
that there is one power that no king, no queen, no ruler, no man, no woman has ever been able to defeat. There is one force over which no ruler and no person has ever exercised authority. No one, no one has ever conquered death. The Bible calls death the last enemy because it's that one force that levels the prince and the pauper. It doesn't matter who you are in life. We all meet the same end, don't we? Wasn't it Hamlet who picked up the ordinary skull in a vast graveyard and said about Alexander the Great, Alexander died, Alexander was buried, and Alexander returneth to dust. It doesn't matter at the end of the day who you are. Not even Alexander the Great can defeat death itself. And in chapter 14, Mark showed us why. You see, have you ever wondered? It sounds simple, doesn't it? Death seems like the most natural thing in the world. It is the one event that all of us will attend in one form or another, right? We all end up there. And yet, even though it's so inevitable and so natural, it also seems so unnatural. At a funeral, we go to and say, this is wrong. Why? This shouldn't be. But why is it that all of us die? And Mark says it's because of this. Death is the greatest penalty for committing the greatest offense. Death is the greatest penalty for committing the greatest offense. And that is to reject Jesus as our king. See, friends, that is a penalty that all of us deserve because that is an offense that all of us have committed. Why is it that all of us face an, a certain death? Because all of us have rejected Jesus as our king. All of us have lived as the rulers of our own lives. All of us have said no to living God's way. And all of us have said to God, no, I am the captain of my fate. I am the master of my soul. And so all of us, without exception, sit under that penalty of death. It is a judgment that all of us cannot escape. Until now. Until now. Because in his resurrection, Jesus says, no, I am the king, not only over sickness, not only over evil, not only over nature, not only over religion, not only over Caesar. No, I am the king over life and death themselves. And if I have defeated death, do you know what that means? It means that Jesus says, I have borne your judgment. I have paid your penalty. I've expunged your guilt. It means that all of us who face a certain death can receive a certain forgiveness of living that rebel life apart from God. It means that all of us can be like Jesus. It means that all of us can say that like him, though we may die, yet we will live. Friends, we celebrate today because death does not have the final word anymore. Because Jesus bore our judgment and gave us his innocence. He bore our death and gave us his life. 
If you're here and you're a guest of one of our baptismal candidates today, you might wonder, why are they being baptized on Easter Sunday? And it's for this reason. It's because on the very first Easter, Jesus defeated death and rose to new life. And in their baptism, Andrea, Andy, Annie, and Tricia are celebrating that in Jesus, they've defeated death and they're risen to new life. They are marking the day on which they've been forgiven, on which they've been set free. And they're celebrating because, that because of Jesus, death no longer has any hold over them. And that just as Jesus died and rose again, so too will they. If a man was on death row and granted a pardon, surely you'd think he'd want to go out and tell everyone about it. And if we, brothers and sisters, who face a certain death and judgment, have found freedom and forgiveness in Jesus, surely we'd want to tell everyone about it, wouldn't we? I hope. And that's exactly what the angel tells the women to do in verse 7. Go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Isn't that the most natural thing in the world? The best thing in the world happens to us and we just want to tell everyone about it. But that's exactly what these three women don't do. Instead, they have an unexpected response. Just look at verse 8. They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And here are the last words of this gospel. The last words after witnessing the miraculous resurrection of Jesus. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Instead of going and telling, the women were scared and silent. And that's how the gospel ends. It's a bit awkward, isn't it? It feels kind of incomplete, a little bit disappointing. Why? I mean, it is so awkward that some of the scribes throughout church history even attach verses 9 to 16 as an appendix to round out the gospel just to give it fuller context. But Mark has intentionally written his account in this way. He has deliberately written his gospel to end with these words. Why would he do that? In our small group this week, we were talking about why. And one, one person in our group said, it's almost like that Korean drama that you get to the end of the episode and it just ends and just something, what's next? And that is kind of what goes on. I want to suggest three reasons why Mark ends in this way. Firstly, the fact that Mark ends so abruptly actually speaks to the authenticity of this gospel. If you think about it, if Mark fabricated these events, he wouldn't cast his own witnesses in such a negative light. It's actually quite self-defeating. Now, the fact that he ends in this way actually bears all the hallmarks of untampered evidence. But secondly, this ending also reflects reality, doesn't it? Because it reflects how so many of us Christians respond to Jesus. 
Jesus' resurrection should give us confidence and courage to go and tell the world that he is risen. But instead, so many of us are still so fearful and faithless, scared and silent. We shrink back. We step back. We run away from following our Lord. No, no, this... This, this fearful ending, it holds a mirror up to our own faith, doesn't it? And it says, hey, we have every reason to be confident. And yet look at what we do so often. And so thirdly, it ends in this way for this reason. It poses a question to us all. Will we be like the women who were scared and silent? Or will we go and tell? Fellow Christian, maybe you're a Christian here today or you're a Christian visiting us from another church. Can I say, if we are confident in Jesus' resurrection, we must be courageous in our witness. And we have every reason for confidence. Well, did you notice in verse 7 what the angel says? Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Do you see, friends, not only is he risen, No, Jesus is going ahead of us. And so whether we're in a hostile workplace, in an unbelieving family, or among friends who make fun of our faith in Jesus, can I say very clearly, we are never, you are never truly alone. Jesus' resurrection gives us every reason for confidence. And Jesus' presence gives us every reason for courage. Andrea, Andy, Annie, Tricia, in being baptized this day, you are actually making a courageous choice to follow Jesus wherever he might lead you. If I'm honest, you're making that courageous choice in a culture where there are no social benefits of being a Bible-believing Christian anymore. There used to be a day where that was the case, where being a Christian would earn you social credit. Those days are long gone. In fact, you'll probably wear Jesus' name as a social liability. Your friends may shun you. Your families may struggle to understand you. And certain jobs may never be open to you. And you may feel the shame of following a crucified king. But the words of the angel resound to you today and every day. Don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. When those moments come, when it's so easy to be scared and silent, to be fearful and faithless, no, no, no. Think to this day and do then what you're doing today. Go with courage. Tell with confidence, Jesus is risen. May that be the anthem of your life. If you're a guest of one of these candidates, and if you're someone who doesn't actively follow Jesus, please know this. I know you're probably here to support them, and that's lovely. 
But can I say they're, they're getting baptized for this reason. They want you to know this truth. Jesus is the only man who defeated death. And if you follow him, you can receive the life, the freedom, and the forgiveness that he offers. Believe it or not, as certain as death may be, if you follow this risen king, you will be able to say with him, with Andrea, with Andy, with Annie, with Tricia, and with all of us, that though we may die, yet we will live. Can I pray? Gracious God, we thank you that by your power and the power of your spirit, you raised Jesus from the dead. You showed us that death does not have the final word. You, you gave us hope for eternity. And you showed us, God, that we can, even in the midst of death, grieve but not without hope. That you've given us a hope that is not vain or empty or futile, but a hope that is as sure as Jesus was raised from the dead. And so, God, as our brother and our three sisters are baptized this day, may we share in their new life. May we remember our new life. And for those of us who don't yet know you, may we accept and receive that new life in Jesus. God, we have every reason for confidence. We have every reason for joy. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.